The following message entitled, Living God's Way Leads to Knowing God's Will, was given by Bob Mundorf on the 11th of January, 2015. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Let's ask God for his help this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your great mercy towards us that we were singing about this morning. Thank you for sending Jesus to come and and live a perfect life and die for our sins and, and be risen from the dead. Thank you that he's coming back one day. Lord, as we look into your word this morning, uh, we, we declare our dependence upon you. And we trust in you, Lord, that you will bless us through the preaching and teaching of your word this morning. Help me, Lord, to teach your truth in a clear manner. Help us to have ears to hear, minds and hearts to understand that we might grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus and our holiness, Lord, this morning as a result of your living and powerful and active word. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're a a note taker, the message this morning is entitled, Living God's Way Leads to Knowing God's Will. Living God's Way Leads to Knowing God's Will. And we'll be looking in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So, how do you really know if you're living in God's will? You ever wonder that? Like, what, what is God's will for my life? How do I know I'm walking in God's will? How do I know how to make good decisions? Or, what does God really want me to do in this situation or in that situation? Does He care about every little choice we make? Am I really doing what He wants me to do with my life? Am I on the right path? I think we all wonder about these kinds of questions at times, and God's will for our lives isn't intended to be a secret. God doesn't want us to be living in a fog of confusion and disorientation. He doesn't want us to be living in the dark. He wants us to know what His will is, and He wants us to not only know what His will for our lives is, but He wants us to experience that on a day-to-day basis. And you and I can know. We really can know what His will is without a doubt. And not only know, but live it out according to our passage today. Let's read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 together. And I'll I'll read. And as, as we read, you follow along. And we'll see here that God does want us to know His will and experience it. It says, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Literally, your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that, or so that, by testing, you may discern, literally, you may may prove, you may demonstrate, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So not only is discerning and knowing God's will possible for us, but in this passage, we're, we're told how to get there. We're told how to get there and we're given the divine incentive or motivation or reason and, and method to carry that out. So this morning, I want us to see three conditions in these verses that every believer, every believer is urged to fulfill. Paul exhorts every one of us who are in Jesus Christ to fulfill these conditions. But if you want to know God's will for your life, this is essential according to what we just read. So here's how I break it down. Break it down in three conditions. Live this way, know God's will. Number one, hinge yourself, connect yourself. Hinge yourself to the mercies of God. From verse 1, we'll see that. We'll also see in verse 1, number 2, present your body as a living sacrifice. We'll talk about what that means and how to do that. And then number three, finally, regularly renovate or renew your mind from verse 2. So let's take a closer look at each of these aspects. First, notice how these verses begin in Romans 12.1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So before Paul even gives us the first thing to do here, the first action step, he, he wants us to see the basis for doing it. This is so important. This is, this is always in the Bible. When God gives us something to do, He always hinges it on what He's done for us. We can never disconnect that, our works, from what God has done for us. Emphasizing just the works, just the commands, the things that we do, apart from or disconnected from what God has done, will just lead us into legalism or, or Pharisaism. We'll become like the Pharisees in the New Testament, where it's all about what we do, how we look, how we appear before people, disconnected from the grace and mercy of God. Many, many believers and many churches through the ages have, have fallen into that snare. And we never want to. That's why this word, therefore, is so important. Because Paul is using it to hinge the commands that follow on the whole basis for the commands that came in the first 11 chapters of this book. So, we can't forget about it. It's, it's number one, hinge ourselves to the mercies of God. Now, I like to think of the word therefore like a hinge, as you know, because I've said it about three or four times. And I think of it like, like a hinge from an old barn door. So, on one side of that hinge, you, you see it's connected to the framework of the barn. And on the other side of the hinge, it's connected to really the only moving part of the barn, right? The door, the part that, that has action, that moves. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's connecting what we do, our works, our actions, fast and, and firmly to what God has done, the barn, in the first 11 chapters. See, that barn, is, in our illustration, is built out of the mercies of God that we read about in those first 11 chapters. 
So when we as Christians do our our works for the Lord, when we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, when we do whatever we do, when we serve the Lord, when we serve others, it can't be disconnected from what God has done. Or it just turns into moralism. It's always got to be connected to the grace of God. And we, we know that if, well, if, if that old barn hinge starts to break, if the screws come loose, if it's not fastened securely, what happens to the door when you try to open and close it? It just drags in the dirt, doesn't it? You have to force it. It doesn't swing smoothly and freely. It gets stuck in the dirt. And that's exactly what happens to us as Christians when we forget about the grace and mercy of God. Our screws come loose and we, our, our work, our obedience is forced and labored, and sometimes impossible. But the, the more secure we are in God's mercies, the, the freer our works will flow. I mean, serving the Lord will be fun and easy when we're securely fastened to His mercy. So we see in verse 1 what the therefore is connected to. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by, by, The mercies of God. That's what came in the first 11 chapters. That's what the barn's built out of. That's what we have to fasten ourselves to. And don't just read through without paying attention to this little word, by. This this little word, by, is so important. We don't get anywhere in our Christian lives but by the mercies of God. By is a word that describes the agency or the vehicle that empowers a thing to move. So, if you go to Japan or you go to London, you get there by a plane. If you go to Pittsburgh, you get there by car probably, by vehicle. And if we are going to offer our body as a living sacrifice to God or obey His commandments or serve the way He tells us to serve in His Word, We get there only by the mercies of God. That's what Paul's telling us here. God's mercies are the catalyst of all our spiritual progress. We're saved through God's mercies. We were forgiven through God's mercies. We've received eternal life through God's mercies. And, as we see here, we live out the Christian life through God's mercies, by God's mercies. So, God's mercy started our Christian life and we won't continue to progress in it apart from them. That's why it's so important, just like we were singing this morning, day by day, your grace empowers me. Just those simple lyrics to the song that we sang this morning. It's so important day by day to be empowered by the grace of God. So, reminding ourselves of what God has done for us every day is like fuel. It's it's the screws that that keep us hinged to the barn so that we can obey Him without forced labor. We have to be in His Word. That's how we do it. How How do we oil the hinge of our obedience every day? By the mercies of God. We get into His Word and we read about what He's done for us. 
We review the things we've learned about in the first 11 chapters. We, we pray and we thank Him for His mercy. So, we need to be consistently thinking about and thankful for what God has done for us. And we can't forget that. So that's the first thing Paul wants us to know. The second thing comes in uh, a little later in verse 1. And we'll look at it here again. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to, now here's what we do, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So the second, the second command here is to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Think about this word, this term, this phrase, living sacrifice. What does that mean? Well, if you study the word sacrifices in the Bible, uh, you'll, you'll see that they are always dead before they're offered. I mean, think about you know, God telling Moses or somebody to offer some 1,200-pound heifer as a sacrifice on the altar, and it wasn't completely dead when he lays it up on the altar to offer it, and it comes back to life. You've got to make sure this sacrifice is dead. In the Bible, sacrifices are dead. It's just the nature of a sacrifice. You've got to kill it. So what's a living sacrifice? Understanding this paradox of a living sacrifice can really help us. It can really help us make progress in our Christian lives. And we're to pre- if we're to present ourselves as living sacrifices, we need to know what it means. So here's what it means. Uh, one of our greatest enemies in Christian progress is our self. Not our new self but our old self. The Bible talks about two selves that we're made up of. And even after we're saved, we still carry around what Paul calls this body of death, this old self. Ephesians 4, 22-24 talks about this old self. It says in Ephesians 4, 22-24, we're commanded to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. And we're we're to do that every day. This is something that we don't just do once, but we continue to do every day. It's a present tense Greek form verb that we have to continue to keep doing, putting off our old self. Because we won't truly be, our our old self will truly be put off of us permanently and finally on the day of the Lord when He returns. If, If Jesus comes back today, our old self is gone and we are completely glorified, the Bible calls it. Ridded of our old self. But until then, we have to continue to put off our old self. So as Christians, we're sort of hybrids. We're sort of like dual people here as, as believers. The unbeliever is just the old man. As Christians, we're a new creation, but we also carry around this old self. And that's the part of us, the old self is the part of us that wants to crawl off of the altar when we offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice to God. 
So every day this old self is trying to, to crawl off of the altar. And you know how this feels. If you're a believer in Jesus, you know how this feels. You have to kill that old man every day. Listen to how Paul puts this in Romans chapter 7, where he talks about the dual person, the hybrid, the split personality that we as believers have. Romans 7, in verse 15, he says, and as I read this, I want you to try to think about what Paul says, when he, who he means when he says I and me and my, because it, it'll tangle your brain up. It's like he's talking about both these selves, and you almost have to figure out which one is he talking about when he says I. Because one sentence, it might be the new. Another sentence, it might be the old. But this illustrates it for us. Verse 15 says, For I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. So now, it is is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, the evil I do not want, is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. You see what I mean? He, he's, he's talking about this battle that we have every day as Christians, between our old self and our new self. And this is why it's so important that we live and walk in our new identity and not our old one. We've got to sacrifice our old one so that we can live in our new one. I'll say that again. We've got to sacrifice, kill our old self so that our new self can be living. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. We've got to be both dead and alive. And the Bible speaks to both. That's why sometimes it's so confusing when we read the Bible and we're to crucify ourselves, but we're to, we're to live out this Christ life. We've got to be both dead and alive. As Romans 6 puts it, we have to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Last summer, I was uh, here in the church and Larry was cleaning the church up and he had this t-shirt on that I really loved. And his t-shirt just captures this thought. I think we have a a picture of it. Larry's t-shirt said, dead and alive. Dead to sin, alive in Christ. That's the Christian. That's the believer. Dead and alive. That's how we're to live. And God has given us all a DNR order on the old self. You know what a DNR order is? A do not resuscitate order. We can't bring this thing back to life. It's got to stay dead on the altar for us to be able to live on the altar and offer our bodies up as a living sacrifice. So, put simply... Being a living sacrifice just means submitting and surrendering your life, your body, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ every day. That's what we're called to do by the mercies of God because of all He's done for us.
So here are some ways to do this. Just a few practical ways. Back in Romans 6, the way Paul put this was, present your members to God as weapons for righteousness. And your members are just your body broken up into the different parts. Okay, so one of your members, for example, one of the members of your body is, are your, your, your vocal cords, your tongue, your mouth. You can present your vocal cords to God by speaking no corrupting talk, but only what is good for building up and gives grace to the hearer. Like Donna said this morning at the mic, when we express thankfulness for what God has done for us with our mouth, with our vocal cords, with our tongues, we are offering up our body, our, our mouth, our vocal cords as living sacrifices to God. On the other hand, when we're letting corrupt talk and gossip and filthy talk and partaking in uh, immoral conversations at work, when we use them for that, then we're acting in the old self. And that is just, we're just crawling off the altar and we're no longer a living sacrifice. And so when that happens, we've got to confess our sin to God and we've got to get back on there and kill that old man. So this is all part of what it means to be a living sacrifice. Another example, your feet. Your feet. The Bible talks about using them to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost. That's being a living sacrifice. Using your feet to carry the gospel to the lost. Or to go to someone's house who needs help and provide service to other believers or to the poor. Your fingers can be presented to Him by using them to design creative work for His glory. Or write encouraging emails to other brothers and sisters. Or write music. Or write, if you're an internet person, you can write blog posts for His glory. But you can use your fingers as living sacrifices for Him. Your ears can be presented as a living sacrifice by by not listening to filthy conversations at work or music with immoral lyrics. And use your eyes by consecrating them to look at only pure things and to never look at impure images. We can offer our bodies up as a living sacrifice by just thinking of the different parts of our body and how we use them day to day. And really, the Bible tells us that that our body parts and our bodies as a whole, they're not even ours anyways. They're, they're not ours. They don't belong to us. If you're a believer, you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So, glorify God in your body. See, even in this verse, you can see this hinge. The Bible does this so much. He's given us some truth. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Jesus Christ paid for you. That's the truth. Now, here's the effect of that truth. Here's what you're to do. So, glorify God in your body. So whatever you do, this is talking about this is talking about our physical body here. This is talking about action. This is talking about what 
what I can see you do, what you can see me do, what we can see each other doing with our body. If, it, if there was a camera on you and you were being video recorded, this is about what you do. Now, it's not so that you can look good, but it's because of who you are in Christ. You're not even your own person. You belong to Him. The Corinthian believers that he wrote this to, they, they, they were messed up. They thought that their bodies weren't spiritual, their bodies didn't matter, really only spiritual things mattered, and they thought, well, their body doesn't matter because it's not a spirit. So they were falling into all kinds of sin. If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you see it, it's like the church gone wild. It's, it's craziness. And these are believers, but they're offering their body up to all kinds of immoral practices. And so that's why he tells them, you're not your own. We're to glorify God in what we do, what we say, what we look at, what we hear, where we go, what we type, everything that we do with our body. And really, the, probably the most essential body part or member of our body to focus on is our mind, our brain. Our brain is like the, the command post or the control center of our body. And that's the part that is probably the most important to offer to God and to keep pure from corruption. And that's where Paul goes next in these verses. He goes to, to our, our mind, the way we think. So, if at this point in the message you're thinking, I'm not where I want to be. I've got a lot of work to do. I need to improve in certain areas. Start here. This is, this is where you want to start. This is uh, where we all need to start. By renewing or, or renovating our mind, our thinking. So number three is regularly renovate your mind. Now, before we go into the verse... What I think of when I think of this is um, both of the homes that Jane and I have lived in came from our grandparents. Uh, the first home we lived in was her grandparents' home. And then uh, several years ago, uh, we bought my grandparents' home. And, and both sets of grandparents took excellent care of their homes. They were in very good condition, um, clean, really took good care of it. But I'm sure that Many of you have been in homes of older folks that hadn't changed in 30 years. Um, much of the decoration, the wallpaper, the linoleum flooring uh, was pretty dated, like 1970s dated, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, some, that, that's fine. Your home can look like that. You might like that style, and, and that's fine. But though it's fine for our homes, when it comes to transforming and, and renovating our minds, that doesn't fly. Stopping in the 1970s doesn't fly. See, this word here in verse 2, to, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The way this, you can't see it so much in English, but the way this tense of this verb is in Greek, it's, it's a continual ongoing, present tense participle. And so, we can think of it like this. Do not be conforming to this world, but be being transformed. 
keep being transformed over and over and over and over again every day and never stop being transformed by the continual renewing of your mind. That's really the, the sense of this. And so, if you stop decorating your home in 1982, that's fine. But, you can't stop transforming and renovating and renewing your mind in 1982, or you're going to be left in the dust. It's, uh, it's an ongoing, continued process. See, Satan's schemes in this world are always, they're always changing. They're like these computer viruses that, that are, I don't know who does these things, these hackers, but they're, they're always coming up with new ways to get in there and mess it up, right? Well, Satan's like that, but, you know, infinitely worse. He's, he's always attacking the church. He's always attacking believers. And you've got to keep your mental biblical software updated, like every day, to keep up with him. Or, or you're just going to be attacked, and you're going to be steamrolled by him. So you've got to download the daily updates if you want to be renewed in your mind and experience God's will and realign your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ and His thinking. So Christ-like living starts with Christ-like thinking. That's where to start. So... Here's, here's, here's a uh, quote that I probably share too often. I, I probably share this in 50% of my messages, but I like it so much and it applies here, so I'll share it again. J.C. Ryle, old-time pastor, said, Our thoughts, the way we think, are the parents of our words and deeds. And they really are. Everything you do, the, the things we're talking about that you do, you and I do with our bodies, it all starts here with the way we think. And so, if we want to change, if we want to be transformed, if we want to be being transformed, which just is progressive sanctification for the Christian life, then we've got to start with our thinking. And we're going to see the process for this progressive sanctification comes by mental renovation. The first thing he tells us in this process of renovating our minds is this. Do not be conformed to this world. Excuse me. Do not be conformed to this world. This world, or more literally, this age. In the Bible, the word world and age are very similar, but they are two different Greek words. And this is most literally the age. And what, what that refers to when he says, do not be conformed to this age, the age that we live in is, is the culture that we live in. It's the opinions, the philosophies, the arguments of, of our culture that oppose the knowledge of God. Now, if you just think for a minute about the things you hear in this world, that you know, I know some of these things are coming to your mind. There are many things, many opinions that are culture has that oppose the knowledge of God. And that's what we're not to be conformed to. So, what do we do with them? How do we, how do we um, fight against this, being conformed to these things? Well, 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us exactly what we do with them. It says this, we destroy them. 
We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Well, how are you going to know when you're hearing these thoughts and opinions and ideas if you don't know, if you don't fortify your mind with the truth, if you don't know what God's Word says, you're going to be conformed without even knowing it. And our enemy, Satan, is very deceptive and crafty in doing this. And so the way that we fight against this, the way that we obey this command to not be conformed to this world is by knowing the truth of His Word, His opinion, His it's, it's his, not his opinion, it's his truth, better. The, the better we know this, the more we're going to be able to not be conformed to this world. So, Satan's got this system down, this behind-the-scenes spiritual system that causes all kinds of things to be said in the world, in this age, that are trying to, trying to change our truth that we know from this word into opinion. He's trying to deceive us. Trying to conform us. This world, we've got to realize this. If we're not going to be conformed to this world, we've got to know our enemy. Or or we're going to be. We've got to realize that this warning is to be taken seriously. That this, this age that we live in, this culture that we live in, this world that we live in, is a dangerous and dark place. And, and the book of 1 John tells us that Satan is the God of this world, of this age that we live in. Now, ultimately, God is God. But He gives Satan that authority for for the time being to have some control in this world. Well, to have all control in this world apart from our kingdom that we are now in as believers of Jesus Christ. So we're safe in that kingdom. We're safe when we're in the Lord's realm, when we're walking in His light when we're walking in the new self. But as soon as we step out of that into the path of darkness, we're in danger. And we can do that as believers. Otherwise, He wouldn't warn us so much in His Word to not step out into the world. He wants us to remain separate from the world. As a matter of fact, He tells us that and He uses that very word in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7. We talked about the Corinthian church was a mess. You couldn't tell the difference between the world and the Corinthian church. He rebuked them a lot for this. And he doesn't want us to be like that. So he rebuked them uh, one time in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7 when he said in verse 14 on, what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God, that's our bodies, have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And he sums it up here in chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves 
from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. See, God wants us to keep away. He wants us to keep distinct. He wants us to keep separate. Not my words, but His. Go out from their midst and be separate from them. Satan and his, his spiritual forces are real, and they're constantly and deceitfully pressuring us. Pressuring us to mingle and conform with this system that he has going on. We need to be able to see the difference so that we don't fall into it. And so that we don't adopt the unbiblical opinions that he's promoting. And I want to say this. If you think that you're immune to this, if you think that you won't be affected, you won't be swayed, like you're okay, you, you don't need to worry about this, and you can think of a lot of other people that do, but you're going to be alright because you're strong, you're a spiritual person. Listen to what he told the Corinthians because he knew that they would respond in much the same way. He said, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins or corrupts good morals. See, we are to be different and distinct. That's what it means to not be conformed to the world, to offer our bodies up as a living sacrifice. Now, if you do this, does this mean that you're not going to be liked by a lot of people? Maybe. Probably. Actually, I would say probably. Because, first of all, there's nothing in the Bible that says you should be liked by a lot of people. And Jesus actually said the opposite. He said, be ready. They're going to hate you. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Who's this they? It's the world. It's, it's every unbeliever in this world. And so, if we are living godly, like Peter says, we will suffer persecution. doesn't mean you should try to be disliked. doesn't mean you should be rude to people. I mean, we should promote the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, kindness, love. But when they really get to know us, they may not like you for it. So, that's a, a warning. We've got to count the cost, right? So, what we do is we take mega doses of God's Word so that we can see the truth, so that we can see the deception, and so that we can be fortified against it. That's the only way to be transformed rather than conformed. And we see in verse 2 here, the next part, really how this is done again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's the little word that I like so much. By the renewal of your mind. Once, we see, once again, we see this little word, by. And God's giving us the how here. He's telling us how we get transformed. By renewing our mind. The biblical principle to transformation, to sanctification, is that basically we, we become what we think about most and what we focus on most and what we fill our minds with. And we see this in everyday life. So like, if somebody, here's an example. If somebody's thinking about pornography all the time in their minds, before long, their feet are going to carry them to the computer. 
their fingers are going to carry them to the keypad, and they're going to, they're going to go there. So what, what do we need to fill our minds with? How do we renew our minds? What's the design of our, the new design of our minds? We fill our minds with Jesus Christ. That's, that's what He meant in the Bible in Romans chapter 14 when He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, how do we put Him on? What does that mean? Like, how do we put Jesus on? We put Him on our minds. He's got to be on our minds. He's got to be in our minds. The living Word of God. How do we do that? We do that through the written Word of God because this reflects the living Word perfectly. And so, 2 Corinthians 3.18 would be the quick setup guide for this. It's like, you know how when you get a new product, I don't know if you've seen this, like Christmas time this year, it seemed like all the instructions of stuff we got, it had the detailed instructions and it had this quick setup guide, which I liked. It was like one page. Just give me the just give me the details. I don't want any of the other stuff. So I look at the quick setup guide. 2 Corinthians 3.18 here is the quick setup guide for transformation in the Christian life. It's just what we were talking about. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding or seeing or perceiving, thinking about the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, there's our word, into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. See, it's not a one-time, boom, be transformed. I did that back in 1987. I'm done. I don't have to do it anymore. It's continue to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. And the way we do that is by beholding the glory of the Lord. The Lord is Jesus Christ. How do we behold His glory? I can't see Him right now. I'm looking and I can't see Him. It's, it's, it's more of perceiving in our minds. It's beholding through what we, what we think about, what we understand, and, and we see Him through this lens right here. And so, the more we behold His glory, the more we think about Him, the more we put Jesus on our minds, the more we fill up our minds with Him, the more we're going to be transformed. To the degree that you... Fill your mind with Him and His Word. To that degree, you will become transformed. You, you will become sanctified. You will be walking like Him, looking like Him, acting like Him. It comes by focusing on Him. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's the quick guide for progressive sanctification in the Christian life. And it's an ongoing thing. It, 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 you don't stop this. You keep going. Now, I'm going to leave us with, with two simple words that have helped me personally the most, and I, I think they'll help you, in this process, in this renovation of our minds. The two words to take with you are, one, knowledge, and two, acknowledge. So, knowledge. What, does, what do we mean by knowledge? Well, the first thing that we need to do to renovate our minds so we can be transformed is, is to grow in the knowledge of, of our Lord. That's what Peter says. He says, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Knowledge. 
What do we know about Him? How well do we personally and experientially know Him? That's knowledge. So we get to know Jesus better by reading in His Word. Read the book of John. I regularly listen. I'll tell you what, I have a... um, You can get CDs, you can buy apps for your phone, but I have this uh, Word of Promise audio Bible. It's like a dramatized version, but it has word-for-word audio. And I regularly listen to the book of John. I love the book of John. And, and you get to know Jesus better each time you hear. Jane and I were just talking about, I, mean, we, I don't know how many times we've read this book. Each time we learn different things about Him. That's filling your mind with Him. That's growing in the knowledge of Him. If anyone wants to borrow, uh, I have that Word of Promise audio Bible on CD. It's like 94 CDs. Just let me know. You can borrow them any time you want. You can borrow uh, some of those CDs and listen to them. But growing in our knowledge of Him is really the first step for me in, in this process that has helped me the most. But see, that's not enough. The Pharisees in the Bible, they knew the Bible very well. They had the Old Testament Scriptures. There are many modern-day Pharisees who know the Bible very well. They know the New Testament Scriptures very well. But it's not enough to just know them. It is an essential step. But you can't stop there. That's where that second word, acknowledge, comes in. This comes from probably what's my favorite verse in the Bible, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. I think of this as taking all that knowledge that we've accumulated. And, and then, I like I, the only way I can really think of this practically is like if you had this big antenna coming out of your brain. You know what an antenna is? Like I don't know if people use those anymore, but it's that metal rod that used to come out of the TV or radio that, that when you, you were trying to listen to like a radio station in Pittsburgh, and so you had to point that thing to where the direction of Pittsburgh was, and the frequency would come in clear, but if you pointed it the other way, you get static. You get nothing. Okay? We got to point the antenna of our brain to that knowledge that we've accumulated, to the Lord Jesus. Every day, all day. See, we got to be tuned in to Him. That's what acknowledge means. Tune your brain into Him. We, so often we're just tuned out of our Christian lives. And when we're tuned out, we're taking in other frequencies. And it's not Jesus. It's the world. So tune in to Him. Acknowledge Him. That, that just looks like this. You don't have to say it with words, but if you could hear your brain think, it would be like every day. Lord, what do you want me to, what do, you want me to do here? Um, what should I do in this situation? What, what is your will for me in this situation? See, we come back to the beginning. If you do these things, He will answer you in your mind and you will know His will for every situation. You will know what He wants you to do. He will bring Scriptures to your mind by His Spirit. He will he'll show you the way. See, the Bible says that His Word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Why do we need a light and a lamp? Because it's a dark world. 
And if we don't use that antenna of our mind and tune into His frequency every day, we're not going to have that light to guide us. And we're going to step into the darkness. And we're going to get caught in the mud of this world. But the more we, we know Him and tune into Him, acknowledge Him, the easier of a time we're going to have in this Christian life to walk in His path and carry out His will and know His will and live His will. So listen once again. I'll close with this. Listen to these verses once again. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may be able to prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So let's, let's not just be hearers of the Word and, and not doers. Let's be doers. Let's, let's each commit in our own minds today to, to give our bodies up as a living sacrifice, to, to really engage in this process of transformation by renewing our mind, by taking in mega doses of Scripture, whether it's reading or listening or going to Bible studies or hearing preaching. Let's commit to day by day, step by step, acknowledging, tuning in to the Lord in our minds just by having an attitude of dependence and humility upon Him to lead us and guide us every day. And He will do that. I I guarantee you, not by my authority, but by the authority of this passage, that if we do that, we will be able to enjoy the satisfaction of knowing that we're living life inside of God's good, well-pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray and ask Him for His help in doing that. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word that guides us. And we pray, Lord, that You will help us. We, we know that this only comes by Your mercies. And Father, we, we don't think that we can do this ourselves. We know that it only comes by You and through You. And You've done it all. You've done it all already, Jesus. And now, You're the vine, we're the branches, we just need to abide in You. We just need to anchor our hinges to You. We need to tune in our antennas to You. And and we need to take in Your Word. And we pray that as we do that, Lord, we pray You'd give us the strength to do it, and as we do it, that You would help us to begin to see results so that we can be thankful and use our lips as an offering up a sacrifice of praise to You. We look forward to what You'll do in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.